I was going to say, I thought Rocky did, but Rocky's not here this morning. By the way, uh, keep Rocky in prayer. Rocky's had a, a tough week or two. He's, uh, his blood pressure has been up quite a bit, and he's just had some rough days. So keep him in your prayers. and He'll be back with us as soon as he can and just uh, giving us a hard time again. But he'll be, he'll be back as quick as he can. But This morning I want to ask you to turn with me, and we'll get there in a minute, to Matthew chapter 10, verses 28 through 31. The title of this message this morning is, His Eye is on the Sparrow. How many of you recognize what that is? Of course, some of you. There's a song by that name. The title of this message is inspired by that famous gospel song by the same name. It's one of the most loved Christian songs in the world. It was made famous by Ethel Waters, who used it as the title of her autobiography. Many other singers have also recorded it, and it enjoyed a revival when Lauren Hill sang it in the movie not too long ago, Sister Act Two. You know the song, but let's go behind the scenes because I think it's important. Behind the music and see what it is. His Eye is on the Sparrow was written by Sevilla Martin, the wife of a Baptist preacher. She described in her own words how she came to write the song. And she says, and I quote, In the spring of 1905, my husband and I were sojourning in Elmira, New York. We had contracted a deep friendship with a couple by the name of Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle. True saints of God, Miss Doolittle had been bedridden for over 20 years. Her husband was an incurable cripple who had to propel himself to and from his business in a wheelchair. Despite their afflictions, they lived a happy, they lived happy Christian lives, bringing inspiration and comfort to all who knew him. One day, while we were visiting with the Doolittles, my husband commented on their bright hopefulness and asked them the secret of the joy of their, in the midst of their pain. Miss Doolittle replied, Miss Doolittle's reply was, If his eye is on the sparrow, then I know he watches me. The beauty of this expression of simple faith gripped my heart, and that, and that same evening I wrote the words for that song. The rest, as they say, is history. Listen again to the words of that beautiful song that we Sing sometimes, not too often anymore, but just listen to the words. Let me read them to you here. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, a constant friend is he. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches over me. His eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Of course, the lyrics of that song are taken from this passage we're about to read here in a moment. Matthew chapter 10, beginning verse 28 through 31. Would you stand with me as we read these words together of Jesus? And Jesus begins in verse 28 of chapter 10 of Matthew, and he says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both a soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this passage you've given us. And, Lord, now let us just dwell on it and see how that applies to us. And, Lord, in these times we live in, it seems to be so crazy and so much violence going on in our world. And just, you know, we worry about terrorists. We worry about just things everywhere that return, seems like. And, Lord, this passage from Jesus just tells us to stop worrying. Don't worry about it. And, Lord, just give us that ability to do that. Sometimes it's hard in these modern days when we have things that we see on TV constantly and all the, the craziness going on in our world. But, Lord, just take this passage you give us this morning and just, Lord, let us understand what you're saying to us, that you're watching over us in everything we do. Go with us through these next few moments. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, those lyrics came from the passage we just read, as you saw. Reading the Bible sometimes is almost like turning to the channel of God's animal planet. There's, there's, there's passages on sheep and snakes and dove and donkeys and, I mean, you name it, and they're probably in the Bible. But in this passage, he refers to sparrows, the little bitty, probably the least exciting bird of all the birds, a sparrow. I mean, nobody collects sparrows. They just fly freely. I mean, if you want to draw sparrows, have a picnic. They'll show up, I promise you. I mean, but they're, they're really what we'd call a worthless bird. But yet God says that his eyes on the sparrow. Now, doesn't that tell us something we need to learn this morning? That no matter what you're going through, and just like these, the doodlittles that we read this story, how the song, the inspiration of the story came to be, here were some people that had all kinds of problems. And I'm looking at people in this crowd that have challenges right now in your life. Miss Lou Ann, she struggled to get up in that baptism, but she's going to be baptized. She wasn't going to stop. I, I started to think, man, there's no way she can get up and down there. But she did it. <laughs> it may have taken her a few minutes, but she got there because she wanted to do something. And what an what a inspiration that is to see her because she wanted to do something that really most of us would say, well, what's the significance of getting baptized? Well, number one, Jesus told us to. And that's why she wanted to do it. She wanted to be baptized like Jesus told her. It had been years since she had been saved. She had never been baptized. Not too many months ago, she stopped me one day and said, I need to talk to you. I said, okay, what, what do you need? She said, I want to be baptized. I thought, you've already been baptized. You're a Christian. She said, no, I've not. I've never been baptized. And she said, I want to be. And so then we started planning that. Of course, then we had the construction thing that was you know, a challenge around here. So it had to wait a while. But she just recently asked me, when am I going to get baptized? And I started saying, you still really want to? I mean, you got to climb those steps. And she says, yep, sure do. And she did it this morning. Now, that ought to be an inspiration to us because that means something to her. That I mean, it was a challenge for her to get this. We had three guys back there basically lifting her up. <laughs> it, but it was, it was important because that's what Jesus told her to do. Don't you wish we all had that kind of a commitment? I wished I had that kind of commitment. But anyway, when Jesus used the simple word pictures and analogies of animals and birds and so forth, they were to dem demonstrate an important spiritual principle. The message Jesus is communicating today was very simply, if you heard the words, he says, don't be afraid. No matter what you're facing, don't be afraid of it. Because God's in charge of all things. Don't worry about it. 
In fact, did you notice the passage we read? And I say that because the first time I read it, I didn't notice it. That passage that we just read, verses 28 through 31 of Matthew chapter 10, it begins with the words, don't be afraid. But it also ends with the words, don't be afraid. There must be something that Jesus wanted us to understand or he wouldn't have put that so close together in that same little passage. He's saying, don't be afraid. He's talking to every one of us. Don't be afraid. And he concludes with the same message. What is it you're afraid of today? God has a message of reassurance and hope for you today if you're afraid. And I know we live in a world that you watch the news and every night you turn on their shootings or killings or whatever other crimes. If it's not terrorists we hear about. And we're, it, you can't help but be a little concerned. Maybe not afraid yet, but it's coming almost to our doors. You can see it to our nation. He's telling you that you don't have to be afraid. Jesus gives us three powerful reasons why you can say, I'm not afraid. Number one. I'm not afraid because the worst thing that can happen in this life is the death of this old body. And I am an eternal soul, so it doesn't matter. Early in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sent his disciples out with a warning. Now, this is the disciples. And he sends them out and warns them this. He says, <clears throat> excuse me, that they're going to go out like sheep among wolves. And there would be people, enemies, who would arrest them and even kill them. But then he says, but don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Fear can be a debilitating force in your life. The Greek word for phobos, uh, for Greek, for fear is phobos. It's where we get our word phobia. And there are at least 254 recognized forms of phobia according to psychology today. The most five common forms of fear among Americans are this. Number one, arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. Number two, glossophobia, the fear of speaking in public. Number three, areophobia, the fear of flying. Claustrophobia, the fear of confined spaces. And acrophobia, the fear of heights. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have those fears, some of those fears at least? Probably every one of us in the room a little bit. Jesus told his disciples not to be afraid, even though they might face death. Look at our most common fears that we just read. Did you catch what the most connecting thing is except one of the top five? The common fear is death. It's going to kill me. We're afraid of spiders because we've heard stories of people getting bit by a poisonous spider and dying. We're afraid of flying because we're really not we're not afraid afraid of flying. If you think about it, we're afraid of crashing. I mean, flying part really doesn't bother us, but we're afraid of crashing. So that that's our next fear. We aren't afraid of close spaces, but we're afraid of suffocating. The only one of the top five phobias that doesn't threaten you physically is public speaking. And some people would rather die than speak in public anyway, so just the same thing. But now think about it. All those five had one thing in common, except public speaking. I can die from this. And that's what gives us the fears. And yet think about what's going on our TVs today. And I mean, you turn on any news channel, and all you hear is bad things. 
one time, I'd like somebody to say something good about the world. But everything you hear is discouraging, frightening, scary, whatever word you want to use. Jesus said we don't have to fear, fear those who can kill the body. With the continuation of terroristic attempts in America, most of us have this nagging fear that it's going to happen again. It's just a matter of time. It's going to happen. Sometimes in the near future. But Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. The worst they can do is kill this old body. I'm still hopeful that America will get on its knees and turn back to God, but I'm losing hope in that rapidly. But, and he'll give us a spiritual awakening, a tremendous one that just sweeps this nation. There are hundreds of verses in God's Word encouraging us not to be afraid. One of my favorite is Psalms chapter 27, verse 1. It says this, The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Jesus is reassuring us today that we don't have to fear death. Because the worst thing that can ever happen in this life is for our death of a body. And we're more than a body. We are a soul. C.S. Lewis, Lewis, couldn't get that one out. C.S. Lewis wrote, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. You have a body. Our soul lives inside of our body. It's who we really are, our personality, we call it sometimes. Our physical and physical death cannot destroy the soul. The moment that this old body dies, I'm going to be with God the next moment because I'm a soul of Jesus Christ. We don't have to fear death. Now, that doesn't mean we ought to be looking forward to it. It just, I mean, we shouldn't have to fear it because there's nothing that death can do to us. God's already promised us much better when we get the other side anyway. Surveys reveal that the mass majority, vast majority of Americans believe there is a heaven. And most of them really think they're going there. <clears throat> but what's this? Only a small percentage of Americans actually believe there's a place called hell. Well, let me give you some inside information. Jesus believed there was a hell. There is a hell. Not everybody is going to heaven. We hope they are. We try. That's our mission to try to get them to, but not everybody is going to. The reason we share our faith with others is because we don't want anyone to spend eternity in hell. Separated from God. So don't be afraid of any man or any person that can destroy this body because you're a soul. You're far more than just this old body. Now, I'm at the age where my body's starting to fall apart. I mean, it just, I was talking to, I forget who it was this morning. Somebody was talking about, and she made the comment, you know, we, when you get our age, we spend more time in doctor's office than we do anywhere else. That's just about where I'm at, too. So it just, it, it falls apart. It hurts. It aches. It don't want to get up in the morning sometimes. But that's just our bodies. But one of these days, this old body's going to lay down and go back to the dust. But my soul's going to go to be with Jesus Christ. What a great and glorious day that will be. Have you ever wondered why that we have funerals the way we have them? Because funerals... That person that is the center of attention, he's not there. That's not him in that cast anymore. That's the shell he lived in. But he's not there anymore. He's either done, moved on, hopefully to heaven. 
But it's not him anymore or her, whatever it may be. And yet we have funerals, and, and I, I understand the, the family time and so forth. I, I'm not making fun of it by any means. Don't misunderstand. But yet the focus ought to be on what the life did, what the life was, and what God did in their lives. And as Christians, we can look forward to that day because that's our going home day in essence. The second thing we see, I'm not afraid because if God cares enough to number my hairs, he cares enough to know the details of my life. We all know that God so loved the world collectively. I mean, he loves all people. He didn't want anybody to go to hell. In fact, did you realize that hell was never intended for people to go to? You read in in Revelations, and it was a place prepared for the devil and his demons. Individuals were never meant to go there. But yet, sin came in and changed all that. But have you ever stopped to realize that the same God who put the stars in space, and he loves you and me personally? Let me show you how that's so true. He cares so much for you that Jesus has numbered the hairs on your head. I want to ask you a question. How many hairs are on your head today? Not you, Robert. You don't have to worry about it. (laughs) I'm kidding. How many of you know the numbers of hairs on your head? Nobody does. But, you know, there was a study done not to, by one of our colleges. I won't call the name. Some hairologist decided to count the number of hairs. So hair are some hair statistics. If you are a blonde, now a real blonde, <laughs> keep that in mind. If you're a blonde, you have around 145,000 hairs on your head. This is, a, this is actually a study that was done. If you have black hair or brown hair, you have about 120,000 hairs on your head. Yeah, okay. I thought I got messed up here. If you're a redhead, you only have about 90,000. I don't know if that's good or bad, but only about 90,000. And God knows how many hairs you have on your head. And it doesn't even bother him or tax his omniscience to count them. He can look at you and tell how many hairs you've got. Now, think about that. That's what the Bible says, that God knows the number of hairs on your head today. Now, it would take several hours to count to 145,000 hairs, but God can look at you and tell exactly. You think God might care about us even in the little details? I I read recently that most human beings can only see a maximum of seven atoms without counting individually. In other words, if I'm taking care of five little kids, and don't worry, that's not going to happen, but just, just in case, if I'm taking care of five kids, I can look at the group of five, and I know there's five kids there without even counting them. I don't have to one, two, three, four. However, if I look at six or seven I could probably know without counting with a good estimation. But if you get to 12 or 20, we can't recognize how many is there. We have to count them, each one. Think about it. Every one of us does it. Once it gets to a certain number, we have to count, make sure, okay, where'd little Johnny go? He's going somewhere now. We have to count them. Now, what, what's the point of this? I can recognize eight, according to the study. If they're in groups of four, 
but you mix them up, and then all of a sudden you have a hard time again. Put two in this group and the three in this group and so forth. It gets, it, we have to count them. What's the point? Our Father, in His unlimited omniscience, can look through a crowd of, say, 94,984 people and know each one of them that quick. That's God. I don't have that ability. I'd have to sit and count the ones that are here. Let's say I'll just, uh, probably 300 here this morning, so just uh, ministerially speaking. So, but, it's, but God can do that. I can't do that. He's smart enough to know everything else about me, even the number of hairs I've got on my head. He know, not only knows, but he cares. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. If you're here this morning and you don't realize how much God cares for you, he cares for the little bitty details in your life. Don't ever think anything in your life is too insignificant to take it to God in prayer. I don't care what it is. It may be your dog sick. Take it to God in prayer. God cares enough about us that he cares about the little details in our lives. He cares about everything in your life. Jesus said every hair is numbered. Now keep that in mind because you know what that means? God's put a number upon every one of these hairs. Now, every day for me, the number goes down a little bit, but it's still he, has to, he knows how much they are. I've had a lot of haircuts in my life, but, you know, I've never in my life had a barber say something to me like this. Hey, I just want to let you know that number hair, hair number 947 has a split end. Because he doesn't know how many hairs I got. It doesn't, one hair is not going to make a bit of difference. The point is, God knows things about you that even you don't know. In other words, God knows you better than you know yourself. And God cares about every little detail of your life. What we would call small details, God knows it and cares about it. God cares that much about each one of us. And by the way, God cares about you whether you're a Christian or not. But God's one concern is He wants you to become a Christian. But God cares about everything you do. Don't take anything and say it's too insignificant to pray about. If God put it on your heart, it needs prayer. The psalmist declares in Psalms chapter 139, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 17 and 18, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. If I should count them, they would be more in number than, than the sand of the sea, sea, sand of the beach. When I awake, I am still with you. Wow. Not only does God count your hairs, He thinks about you every day many times. Now, put that in perspective. The God of this universe that spoke these planets into existence, that tossed the stars out, I don't know what He did exactly, this great, gigantic universe we've got, the things of this world that God cares about, the little details of your and my life. That's a great God. Number three, I'm not afraid because if God cares about a sparrow who falls, he, will, he won't stop loving me when I fall. Now, here's where it ties into us. 
Sparrows are some of the most plentiful, common birds in the world. How many times do you hear somebody say something like, well, I'm, we're going to have some sparrows tonight. I'm going to go out and get me some sparrows and cook them. I've never heard anybody say that. I've heard people say, I'm going to go shoot some dove. I'm going to shoot some quail. I'm going to shoot some pheasants or whatever. And they'll go, boy, they're going to have a meal. But not too many people I've ever heard ever have a sparrow to eat. Why is that? Because it's a little bird that's not worth much of anything. In fact, in our passage, did you see that Jesus himself said, for a copper coin, which is less than what we would call a penny. In fact, history tells us about a fourth of a penny in this day and age, you could buy four sparrows. That's how cheap they are, even were back then. They're not valuable birds. But the point is not that they're valuable birds. The point is that God cares about them. Don't you think he cares about you more? Don't you think if God cares about when a sparrow falls out of the tree and dies, that he cares more about you and you and you, far more than that? They aren't known for their beautiful colors or for the sweet songs like some birds. But Jesus said that two sparrows, sparrows sell for a penny. It's the smallest coin, less than what we would call a penny today. And yet Jesus says, when one of them falls to the ground and dies, God knows about it. Nothing happens without God knowing it. Nothing happens in your life without God knowing it. God cares that much about people. He cares about us. It would make better sense if Jesus had have said something like this, that every time an eagle falls, God knows about it. But that's not what he chose to use. He said the cheapest, most inexpensive, most common bird you can have is important to God because he knows when they fall. Naturalists tell us that there are approximately 35,000 bald eagles in the United States and Canada. Now, who real quick can tell me how many sparrows are in the United States? None of us. We don't, I doubt even science keeps those statistics because we don't, it's not something we care about. We can easily imagine a little sparrow that is hatched and lives its life in obscurity, falls down dead, and in a few years nobody on planet Earth even notices or cares. But Jesus said, not a single sparrow is forgotten by God. Now, put that in context. We are far more valuable to God than sparrows. And if he loves them that much, can you begin to imagine how much he loves us and cares for us? When it dies, Jesus didn't say God prevents sparrows from falling to the ground. He simply knows about it and cares. The truth is, sometimes we fail and we fall, and we think we've disappointed God, and that He no longer cares about us because we're human beings. I don't care if you're a Christian or a church member or whatever you are. We still make mistakes, and we fail sometimes. We fall sometimes. We don't do the right things sometimes. But the message here today is that but God cares about you regardless. God knows about it and cares about it. We've disappointed God, and he, we think he no longer cares for us. Well, I can't go back to church. Look at what I did. I can never be forgiven. 
But if God cares about a sparrow, He cares about you and me. He still loves us regardless of what we do. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 37, verse 23 and 24, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I remember when our son, our oldest son, was beginning to walk. Our first son, well, both of them really, but the oldest one was the first one to walk, obviously. But it's uh, he was learning to walk, and you know I'd walk out in the driveway, and he'd hold on my finger, he'd take those little baby steps, and he'd fall a time or two. But sooner or later, he began to take those steps and get his steadiness, and he began to walk. Then when my grandson was born, that's another story. I took him out one day, and I was going to walk him down the driveway. We lived across from the church we were passing at the time, and I was going to walk him over there so he could play in the grass and had a swing set and so forth and all this kind of stuff. And I was going to walk him out there. And before I knew it, he slipped out of my, off of my finger. He was holding on my finger, and he slipped off. And when he did, he took a nosedive on the driveway. I thought, oh, no, my daughter was going to kill me. <laughs> so I took him back in. He was skint from here to here. Of course, he cried a little bit. Well, three weeks, but not too long. But it's, uh, <clears throat> I walked in there. And the first thing Mama did was jumped out of the couch. What happened? I said, I don't know. He just ran off and fell. I don't know what happened. I said, well, he was walking on this driveway, and I didn't hold on to him. He fell. But, you know, and that happens, obviously. But yet God never lets go of our hand. God never lets loose. We may not feel him holding on, but he holds on tighter than any man or woman possibly could. And God's not going to let you fall. You may stumble. You may fail God sometimes. But that doesn't have to be the end of it. Spiritually speaking, we're all like toddlers learning to walk. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. But he's promised to uphold us with his hand. That's the difference. My grandson had a hold of my hand or had a hold of my finger. But God holds our hands and he holds us tight. Don't ever think that you fell out of God's graces, that you're beyond coming back to God. When we stumble, he grips us even stronger. And that's where we need to grip his hand even tighter. The God of the Bible isn't some sinister tyrant who's watching over us just waiting for you to make a mistake so he can punish you. God's a loving Father who wants the very best for each one of us. You don't have to be afraid because God's promised. He will never leave you or forsake you. He watches every sparrow that falls, so you can be certain He's watching over you too. I read a story about a tribe of native Indians years ago with a unique practice of training young braves. One night on the boys on the night of the boy's thirteenth birthday, he was placed in a dense forest to spend an entire night all alone. Before the night, he had never been away from the security of his family and his tribe. One particular young man was blindfolded and led many miles into the wilderness. He was instructed, Don't remove the blindfold for an hour. On this particular night, dark clouds obscured the moon and stars, and when he removed the blindfold, all he could see was utter darkness. Every time a twig snapped, he visualized a wild animal 
stalking him and fixing to pounce on him. Every time an animal howled, he imagined a wolf coming closer so it could leap out of the darkness and after him. He spent a terrifying night on the edge of panic, but he didn't leave. After what seemed like an eternity, the first rays of sunlight began to lighten the eastern sky. Looking around, the boy saw flowers and trees and the outline of the path. Then, to his utter astonishment, he saw the figure of a man standing just feet away, armed with a long bow and arrow. It was the boy's father. He had been there all night just to protect him. How many times have you faced scary situations in our lives? Give it into fear, perhaps. Would it have made a difference if you could have seen God standing just a few feet away to be there for you? Would that have made a difference? Well, you can be sure He is. He's just standing there waiting for you to turn to Him. You may not know it. You may see all these horrendous things that can happen, but God's just standing over here waiting to call upon Him. Let me close this by saying this. Preaching is funny in some ways. Sometimes I think something I say is powerful and profound, and it goes in one of y'all's ears and out the other one. Other times I say something I think so simple that and evident that nobody will remember it anyway, and the statement, people come up and say, I never thought about that before. Here is a profound statement. Do you know how many times God says don't be afraid in the Bible? Here's the answer. God says don't be afraid every time you're afraid. That's how many. When you're knocked to your face in fear, Jesus reaches down and touches you and says, don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. There are some of you here today who are struggling with fear of different things, disease, sickness, financial problems, all kinds of things in this room. Health, the health of a family member perhaps, a job loss, financial problems, many other things we could add to the list. I'm telling you today from God's Word, not my words, but God's Word, He's telling you, don't be afraid. I came across a little poem that sort of reminds me of the care of the Lord that he has for each one of us. And I'm going to close with this. Said the robin to the sparrow, I'd really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about so and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, I guess that it must be that they have no father such as cares for you and me. Doesn't that hit home? Because we worry about everything. But we do have a loving Father who cares about every detail of our life, even the hairs on your head. Robert, (laughs) I have to pick on him. (laughs) Jesus knows, Jesus cares, and he's never going to leave you or forsake you. You can leave your fears behind and say, if his eye is on the sparrow, I know he watches me. Let's stand together this morning. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. Now, Lord, as we come to close this service, we just ask that you would just take these words. and, Lord, they're your words, not mine. But, Lord, that you would take the words that you've showed us. And just, Lord, reinforce us that, Lord, there's nothing this old world can do to us. They can kill this body, but, Lord, that, doesn't, that just begins with the better part. Lord, just let us not live in fear. But also, Lord, let us remember that everything in our life you care about. 
no matter how small it may seem to be to us, if it's important to us, it's important to you, that we need to take them to prayer and ask you to guide our thoughts, our hearts, our lives, whatever the need is. Lord, I don't know the ones that stand here. There may be somebody here this morning that does not know you as a personal Savior. Lord, that would be the greatest decision they'll ever make in life. There may be some that's just like Miss Luann earlier today that she wants to follow in baptism. She's never been baptized. There may be some like that today. There may be some today that are saying, well, I'm looking for a church home, and God's indicating He wants us to be a part of this church, to make a difference with this church. I don't know what the needs are, but God knows you, and He knows your heart today. As we sing this verse, we're not going to tarry long this morning. But this is your opportunity to step out. Step about these steps and do business with God. You don't have to talk to any of us. We'll be there if you want us to. But talk to God this morning. Would you do that? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have decided.